Welcome to HEQ&A, the podcast of History of Education Quarterly. I'm your host, HEQ co-editor Jack Schneider. Every few weeks, we'll dive into recent work from the journal, asking authors how their projects challenge or extend what we know about a topic, exploring what's interesting and surprising about it, and then taking a step back to consider broader implications. In the second half of the show, we turn our sights to teaching, so if you're an educator, make sure to stick around until the end. And now, let's hear from one of our authors. My name is Mimi Hanaoka, and I'm Associate Professor and Chair of the Department of Religious Studies at the University of Richmond in Virginia in the United States. And I'm the author of Syed Ras Masood and a Japanese Model for Education, Nationalism, and Modernity in Hyderabad. I argue in this piece that Syed Ras Masood who traveled to Japan in 1922. He wrote a report in 1923, and he's coming to Japan as a public servant. He is director of public instruction for Hyderabad, which was a princely state in India, which means it was part of the British Empire, but in some ways had more latitude, more flexibility than other parts of the British Empire in India. And he travels to Japan looking to learn what the Japanese educational system can offer Hyderabad. And then I ultimately argue that Masood sought to use mass vernacular education, although I bracket that with saying there was a lot of debate about which vernacular in India, in Hyderabad, He sought to use mass vernacular education to create in Hyderabad a nationalist subject loyal to the ruling Muslim dynasty. And this state was majority non-Muslim who absorbed modern scientific knowledge with all of its Western epistemic foundations, but who remained untainted, unstained in some way by Western norms. And my argument is that Masood, you know, he thought that Japan being an Asian nation that defeated Russia in the 1904-1905 Russo-Japanese War seemed for Masood a tenable model for a nationalist subject in non-Muslim majority Hyderabad who would still be loyal to a ruling Muslim dynasty that somehow remained untainted, that had some kind of maintained an purity He doesn't use the word purity per se, but remained not something that was a copy of Western modernity, but rather offered a model for Asian modernity. I would say we know, happily for me, very little about this topic. So it was a really exciting place to jump into the conversation. The reason why we know very little about this topic of how part of India, a princely state, used Japan and considered the role of education in modernity, in development, in nationalism. We don't know a lot about that intersection. We know a lot about India and we know a lot about Japan. And I think the reason why we know so little is that we are siloed in some ways by our disciplines and we are limited by our languages. We can only go as far as our languages can take us when we do our research. My training is of a historian of Islam but I'm actually Japanese and I am a native speaker, reader, writer of Japanese, having been born and raised there. 
So this was really exciting for me to go home, to do research in Japan, looking at archives, seeing where and if Masood showed up, and then triangulating that with what Masood wrote about when he submitted his report the following year in 1923 to the Nizam of Hyderabad, making recommendations for what he thought Hyderabad could learn or import for Japan. And I think the timing is really important. This is the interwar period. Japan, which was essentially a nation that was becoming an empire, which had a constitution, defeated Russia, this very large neighbor to its west that did not have a constitution and was going through it in some ways an opposite process, which was a empire becoming a nation. And so this provided for a lot of constituencies across the globe, an intriguing hope, a possibility, a potential for new ways to conceive of modernity and the role of education in it, and specifically a kind of Asian model of modernity and what role education could play within that. I was surprised and intrigued by digging into this idea that you had a Muslim thinker, right? His father was a very prominent Muslim reformer in India. His grandfather was Said Ras Masood. His father was a prominent jurist. And you have Said Ras Masood as this intellectual and biological heir to that tradition. And he is a Muslim as a public servant in a non-Muslim majority state that is ruled by a Muslim dynasty. And so here you see this public servant looking at Japan, which is not Muslim, right? It is predominantly Buddhist and Shinto, Shinto being the indigenous religion of Japan, Buddhism being a very important part of Japanese religious traditions and the landscape, looking at this very different in many ways place and seeing a model, a potential, a hope for what he thought could be imported and translated into Hyderabad. That for me was really intriguing. And he said something really interesting in his report that he submitted. And he said, I went to Japan a cynic, but I have come back a firm believer in her political greatness. And for him, a lot of that was about the role of education and what education could do to create a nationalist subject and how that subject could be developed and formed through education, amongst other things. The second half of the show is dedicated to thinking about teaching. We ask authors to put on their guest lecturer hats and take students into the weeds. What should they pay attention to, methodologically speaking? What else should they be reading if they want to take a deep dive into the historiography? And where are there opportunities for further research? I think when students are reading my piece and thinking about methodology, I would love my students and any student to think about what are the sources, who are they written for, and what is the bigger picture, the bigger context about these sources. More specifically, for Said Ras Masood, he is writing as a public servant. He is a Muslim in a non-Muslim majority state, and he's submitting a report to the Nizam, the ruler of Hyderabad, who is very interested in protecting Hyderabad, its role as a princely state, 
It's a time of a lot of debate of what does the future of India look like in 1923, right? There was lots of debates about what should India look like? What would a united India look like? What languages, what would India sound like, right? What are there going to be the or the more important vernaculars in India? So I would want people to think about the sources, who they are written for, and the objective of that source. He's writing as a public servant, submitting a report to the ruler. And then I'd like students to think about the big picture context, you know, stepping really back and looking at the interwar context in which Said Vas Masood is writing, right? He is writing 20, little shy of 20 years after Japan defeated Russia in the 1904-1905 Russo-Japanese War. That was a really big deal for a lot of constituencies, specifically in the Middle East, as well as South Asia, who are Muslim, who looked at Japan, this very small nation who defeated Russia, a very big empire, right? Japan had a constitution, Russia didn't. Japan was small. Russia was large. Japan really was more of like a nation becoming an empire. Russia is going through the opposite process of being an empire, becoming a nation. And there was something really exciting to a lot of people about that. Ras Masood even wrote, you know, those who hate Japan who will hate me for praising her so much. But then you must remember that to an Asiatic like me, she is the most wonderful country. For of all the countries in Asia, she alone has done something to show the world that Asiatic need not remain slaves of Western nations forever. So he was really intrigued by this notion of what does it mean to be Asian and modern? And he found a lot of potential for education in that. So we have to think about the context immediately for the sources and then the really big picture historical context as well. Great question. So if students want to take a deep dive into historiography, I think we want a strong grounding in the history and historiography of each respective place and then take that additional third step to see where they can speak to each other. For example, for my research, this would involve really exploring the history of India and then also of Hyderabad more specifically about Muslim princely states that existed. They were really um, numerous. They covered a lot of territory. They were these really kind of semi-independent, autonomous, but not exactly princely states that operated within the within British colonial India. And then looking also at the historiography and history of Japan at that time, right? The 1800s, 1900s, and then seeing where can they speak to each other? Where are the gaps in our knowledge? Where can we find connections, intersections, collisions? Uh, one thing I noticed when I was reading Masood's report is that he isn't either providing the full context, maybe because he wasn't aware of it, maybe because he misinterpreted it, maybe because he wanted to, in some ways, put his own spin on it. So I think in order to be able to really understand and interrogate the sources, we have to know the really big context for each of them. In my case, for Hyderabad in India and for Japan, in order to make sense of what the thinkers are saying and, and be that check on that, to know their suppositions, their biases, their priorities. Further opportunities for research on this topic. I actually started this and it's part of a bigger project that engages the same question, really, but in different geographic sites. 
What did other Muslim reformers, thinkers think about what Japan could offer the Muslim world in terms of education, modernity, and a non-Western model for modernity? I was really intrigued because you have poets and thinkers in Iran writing about Japan defeating Russia in the Russo-Japanese War. Remember that Russia is also Iran's neighbor as well with a challenging history with Iran. You had thinkers in India, not just Sidrus Masood in Hyderabad, but elsewhere in India as well, too. You had thinkers in the Ottoman Empire and the early Turkish state in the aftermath of the Ottoman Empire, also talking about Japan, its education, its modernity, as providing some kind of model for what these other constituencies could do, right? You have different languages. You have Turkish, you have Persian, you have Urdu. You had Egyptian thinkers as well, writing in Arabic about what can we do with this galvanizing moment where we have this small non-Christian nation that defeated Russia. And so while there are big chasms in religion and history between Japan and these other constituencies in India, in Iran, in North Africa, in the Middle East, you have this sense that we are all Asian, although people disagreed on what that meant and what that could look like in the future. That was a common thread. So one thing that I'm exploring further on this topic is looking at whether other places, other thinkers, you know, how they responded to the same question of what does Japan offer or provoking in terms of modernity, education, and as a potential for these different Muslim sites of modernity. To learn more, check out History of Education Quarterly Online. The journal is published by Cambridge University Press, and it's carried by most academic libraries. You should also be sure to follow HEQ's Twitter handle, at Hist Ed Quarterly, which regularly sends out free, read-only versions of articles, and the show's Twitter handle, at H-E-Q-A. And don't forget, subscribe to the show so you don't miss forthcoming episodes. We're available on iTunes, Stitcher, and wherever you get your podcasts. H-E-Q-A is produced at the University of Massachusetts Lowell. Our producer is Jennifer Berkshire, and our theme music is by Ryan Shaw. I'm Jack Schneider. Thanks for joining us. <laughs>